be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? She's a front-page contributor to Red State and a broadcast professional who calls life the way she sees it. Yeah! Crank up the radio! Very interesting! She's Mickey White. This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by... Well, we usually would have Ace Ventura's pet detective agency here, except this week he was nowhere to be found right when we really needed him. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, what happens when, when all of a sudden your pet is missing? I understand your life was sent into a, a brief <laughs> but serious crisis yesterday. Yes, and hi, everybody, and welcome back. It is great to hear your voice, Jim Garrity, and great to have Dave Perkins back stateside with us as well. Tell us about um, the pet. So here we go. Um, as many of you know, I my pet, Parker, who is my cat, one of my cats, went missing um, for two days. <laughs> We uh, searched the outside of the house. Uh, of course, initially being pet owners, we searched the inside of the house. We you know, opened every door, opened every closet, went through everything we could possibly imagine. And our house is a very unique build. Um, it's not small, but it's certainly not a mansion by any means, a stretch of the imagination. So you know, when we searched the house, we, we then immediately went to the outside. And... Um, and he was gone. There was no Parker. Uh, we realized that he had probably gotten out Monday afternoon when we were doing some some renovations to one of the upstairs bedrooms, which I've actually converted into my office. Um, and we're kind of converting part of that into a studio. So we're making some changes up there and we we're going in and out through one of the sliding glass doors. And so Mr. Bias came to me about eight o'clock on Monday night after feeding the cats because we do have four total, um, and only three of them showed up for dinner. And he said, have you seen Parker? And I realized I had not. So thus began the search. Now, our cats are such that they never leave the house. Like, they aren't indoor-outdoor cats. They are strictly indoor cats. That's my rule, too, for my guys. Yeah, and so Parker had never spent the night outside um, in his life. And Monday night, um, I fell asleep just crying myself to sleep because I hadn't been able to find him and he was spending his first night alone outside in the neighborhood and we had thunderstorms so to say that I have been a miserable person (laughs) for the last 48 hours is such an understatement I literally would wake up in the middle of the night and go look for the cat and did it in the middle of the thunderstorm yep i got up last night because he still wasn't home um we hadn't been able to find him or locate him yesterday or last night um i went and that was tuesday i i went i guess it was probably three o'clock in the morning i got up and went outside and looked for the cat again thinking like well maybe it's dark and it's quiet and it'd be scared i went online and they said that he probably was nearby the house like he probably didn't run off i have not slept Little sister, nobody understands you more than me. I've had as many as five cats. I always keep them inside, and I, I'm just a granny when it comes to the possibility of them getting out. It just puts oh, yeah. it, tears it, in my eyes just thinking about it. It's to me yeah. to think about. Um, so, so last night I get up, like I said, about 3 o'clock in the morning, went outside, looked for the cat. No sign of the cat. Um, came back, went back to bed. I come down the stairs this morning, and I see Mr. Bias sitting in his office. We have kind of like a catwalk over it. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> and I see him as I'm coming down the stairs, and he says to me, did you let Parker in last night? I, I said, what? He said, did you let Parker in last night? And I looked at him, and I said, 
are you even the <laughs> And he said, no. So you didn't let him in? I said, what are you talking about? He said he was sitting at his desk this morning. He had just come down, made coffee, was sitting at his desk, opening his email, and he said, I need to go look for Parker. And he said, he said out loud, Parker, where are you at? Like, you need to come home. And he said he looked down, and Parker was sitting beside him, <laughs> eating out of the bowl. Like it's a like it's an incantation. He materialized out of thin air I have inside no, the house. Yes, and I have no idea where this cat was at for two days in my house. <laughs> Scully, we've got lost time here. And I, I, I literally <laughs> thought that Mr. Bias had completely just decided to mess with me at this point. And I'm like, how? Where? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. He said he looked down and there he was. And sure enough, there he was still sitting there when I came down the stairs. And of course, I'm so thrilled. Like I could run over and I grab him and I'm kissing his little face and I'm picking him up and whatever. And then I'm like, where the hell have you been? <laughs> and where you, the hell did you go? Did you solve the mystery? Did you do the no, work? I, I legitimately at this point have no idea. See, I had Where a cat years ago that that learned a trick of jumping up on a bar stool, then the counter, then the top of the fridge, and then leaping across the open space of the kitchen to get on top of the cabinets on the other side. This was oh. amazing gymnastics, which resulted in her disappearing, and we tore the house apart. And finally, one of our other cats is pacing back and forth in the kitchen, meowing. And we look at where his eyes are looking, and we see this little pair of eyes peeking over the top of the cabinet, all proud of herself. Like, I made myself yeah. disappear. You're turning the yeah. house inside out looking for me. I'm so pleased. <laughs> they do that. Uh, is it safe to say we have no evidence the cat actually ever left the house? Correct. That's it. There is no evidence to support the cat ever left the house. However, based on the searching that I did of this house alone, I need to tell you that I have been calling him the cat who walked through walls. Hmm. Because I don't have the slightest idea where he managed to hide um, for two days. Like, he didn't come out for food. He didn't come out for a while, which, of course, now I'm worried that he's not feeling well and we'll probably have to go to the vet. That's a whole other issue. But he, he didn't come out, and I couldn't find him. And, of course, my thought being, like, there has to be one more door that didn't get opened. And, and you know, the one that I didn't think of, whatever. And this morning, Mr. Bias and I started thinking about cabinetry. So funny you wish to mention that, Dave, because mm -hmm. they're like, do you think he got into one of the cabinets yep. downstairs and, like, we just didn't know it was in there? Yep. A, a very strong argument against do-it-yourself projects because you can misplace your cat or you can misplace your pets during the entire project. Um, I, <laughs> on the one hand, you know, I, I, I sympathize, Mickey. I'm very glad this has a happy ending. I can only oh, imagine what your mood would be like if you, you know, if your cat had run. But wasn't there some song and the cat came back the very next day? I'm That's right, the ghost like, cat. The last verse song. was the ghost cat. Yeah, but the cat came back and it was a horrible minor chord at the end after he had been killed. Well, I, I will tell you, when I looked at Parker, after I got done kissing him and hugging him, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm just so glad you're here. I immediately then became fearful of him. Like, are you some type of pet cemetery cat? You're reminding me, Jim, of of my days in Australia when I was a kid because none other than Rolf Harris did that song. But the cat came back. I thought he was a goner, but the cat came back. He just wouldn't go away. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I have no when idea I was a what you're talking about. Like, at all. <laughs> it's a great little Dave, song. You're going to need to play that up. I think um, I course. think yours truly can discover this on Google and make it a part of this marvelous radio. Yay! I love that. Well, as I said, we we are in the the process of doing some renovation here at the house as well, and uh, and and on that particular topic, I do want to tell you guys some of the best news that I have gotten in pop culture in months. 
the show from TLC, formerly The Learning Channel, Trading Spaces is coming back. It's been off the air for 10 years. Now, guys, I don't know how familiar you are with the DIY format of television, but as you guys know, I'm addicted to HGTV. Yeah, I was going to say, walk me through this because I, there are a couple. I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm not mixing this up with a couple of them. Well, One, it's not the wife trading, right? Yes, but Trading Spaces was kind of the original. Um, in in getting people to watch DIY on mass, like outside of you know this old house that type of thing, this is where people enjoyed it and became a game because it was hosted by Paige. And what they did is they took two neighbors and they switched houses, and then one neighbor would do one the their neighbor's room and vice versa. And sometimes it was a living room, sometimes it was a dining room. They never did major renovation because they only had a budget of like a thousand dollars, I think. To do the room. And you were supposed to get to, oh, I love what you've done with the place, but every once in a while you'd get a very glaring, oh, this is terrible. Oh, that was the best part of the show. Because if you got lucky and you got one of the good designers like Vern, then you knew that your house was going to be Mac Daddy when it was done. However, if you ended up getting someone like Guinevere or Hildy, and these were the designers that they used at the time, or Frank, you didn't know. If it was going to be fabulous or just god-awful. I actually watched Genevieve put real live grass on someone's wall one day. <laughs> you, know, you know, that stuff doesn't grow sideways. I'm not going to have enough time getting to grow. The things I've ever seen in life. And she was like, is it this great? And the guy's like, I hope they like it. Because that's the best part. At the end, then... The neighbors switch. They go back to their own houses. There's the big reveal. You get two reveals in one makeover show, which makes it awesome. Um, I, I used to love the show because sometimes you get great ideas. Like I said, the designers themselves are fantastic. They always come up with cool kind of money, kind of money-saving ideas, more just kind of like cool things you can do with what you already have, upcycling and recycling things that you have in the house. That's where all of this started with Trading Spaces. Now, eventually, they, you know, as they as Hollywood does with everything, if it's a good thing, they give you too much of it. And they started doing spin-offs with different hosts, and I think they had some kids versions and like, you know how they always do with all the different variations of a popular show, and it kind of watered down the product. And in in the meantime, HGTV came up and really started putting out some quality flipper programming that we who do home uh, renovations just love. So there was, you know, but we all, you know, at least my generation, I think of trading spaces, as I said, like the original DIY programming that I, I, I would sit and watch hours of it. And, and it was great because, again, you never knew if it was going to turn out to be something that was absolutely stunning. Or something that was so hideous. It was, it, it was, it, I, again, I saw her put grass in the wall. There was a bathroom that Hildy did once where she covered every single inch of the walls with plastic flowers stapled to the wall. You know, <laughs> that happened. Can you imagine opening the door? Like, you've done this great room for your neighbor. Like, you've turned their, you know, den into a playroom for their kids. And, you know, you did this great mirror on the wall. And you walk into your bathroom, and it's been redone with plastic flowers stapled to the walls. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, you really sprung sense and sense for that decoration. Um, <laughs> now, Mickey, are you and Mr. Biased, do you guys do a lot of this kind of stuff at home or like by yourself? Or you're like, nah, because I know he's exceptionally handy. Right? This, this is, you know, so for him, this is like the, this, this is just another day 
metaphorically another day at the office. Yes, metaphorically. Uh, yes, definitely. Um, he's very handy. There's very few things that he won't do himself, but he has a couple projects that he won't do. He wants to have actually somebody else come in and do um, kind of doing all the plumbing and the wiring and all of that because it could be a major project uh, for someone who's not a full-time electrician. Um, okay. But everything else he will do himself and minor electrical stuff. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, he, he, he will also watch these shows with me, though. Because he gets ideas for himself, for his clients, et cetera. Whereas I'm like, okay, I need to take that wall out. And that's where I'm at in my DIY stage right now. And I feel like you kind of progress because trading spaces is like the first initial part. Um, where you have the, um, you have, you have that initial, like everything's cosmetic, throw a little paint on it, you know, change up the, uh, the room a little bit. And then you move on to where now I'm at the HGTV level of, I want to take that wall down. And it's a load-bearing wall, so I'm going to put an I-beam up. <laughs> I keep waiting for the episode in which someone everything comes completely crashing down, and you can just see the contractor look at the camera and say, yeah, in retrospect, we really needed that wall. <laughs> right? So much for the open concept. As it turns out, we needed that wall. <laughs> I mean, it's even more open now. So. <laughs> Well, we could do an entire segment, and maybe we should someday, on all of the great shows on HGTV with an open concept and all the great ideas that come that way. But there is something coming up in the next segment that Jim is so excited about. Um, the new Twin Peaks dealers are out, and uh, we're going to talk about it next. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I'm Mickey White along with Jim Garrity, and it is nearly like Christmas in March for Jim (laughs) because everyone is talking about Twin Peaks, including entertainment this week. Uh, They even had them on the cover this week, didn't they? They had three covers. It's the idea you put them all together, and it's supposed to sort of look like the Last Supper, except David Lynch is Jesus. And um, I, I got to say, yes, I'm excited, Mickey. Um, I'm excited for, for several reasons. Look, it's not often that your favorite TV show goes off air and dies for 25 years and then comes back. And, you know, the surviving cast, uh, since some have passed away in the interim two and a half decades, um, they've aged quite a bit. That's, uh, most, most of them have all aged. There's one glaring exception there. Are you, are you talking about Majin Amik? Yes. And let me tell you, um, I, I, I'm kind of, you know, like, like, oh, oh, man, you know, Kyle MacLachlan, he's getting up there. Oh, wow. Uh, look, you know, I don't say this to mock any of the appearance of any of these people. We're all 25 years older than we were, than we were. except for her, except Majin Amik is um, uh, still a wowser. And I pointed to the, on, on Twitter, I decided to say, you know, she, I make a reference to um, the portrait of Dorian Gray. She must have a portrait on the wall that gets older instead of her. She looks fantastic, and she doesn't look like she's had a significant amount of work. So if she's had work, they did a good job. Yeah, no, I, I you know, no, no obvious, uh, uh, no, nothing looks fake there. But she responded on Twitter, Mickey. 
Shelly the God. waitress responded to me on Twitter. So, you know, I, I can I What can did she say to you, Jim? Fanboy, she said, Jim. Look this up. <laughs> Shh, don't give away my secret. Um, and oh, then, it's okay. not a secret, Jim. Everyone knows you're a fanboy. <laughs> Oh, no. She said to me, don't give away my secret, i.e. she has the portrait of Dorian Gray on the wall. Oh. <laughs> her, so. so she gave you a thoughtful response. Yes, she did. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So I, That's fantastic. Are you going to frame that? Um, going to. <laughs> you say that like I haven't already, Mickey. Um, I assume you've already ordered it on one of those coffee mugs where you can have a tweet put, it, put on there permanently. It goes right next to the time Ray Wise tweeted at me and the last time that uh, my, Mark Frost liked one of my tweets. So, who's the co-creator? So, well, so here's Vanilla Ice followed me. Uh, there you go. All right, well. So, now I have Vanilla Ice and LL Cool J following me, which makes my life pretty much perfect. Wait, that happened, Mickey? Yeah. You were followed both- by Vanilla Ice? Yes. Stop! <laughs> That's a career ender, if you ask me. <laughs> I was so excited. So if you had so here's the thing, the the on the one hand, yes, I'm extraordinarily excited seeing things like the uh, the entertainment weekly covers kind of indicate yes, this is real, it's coming. We haven't had a full real trailer with any real footage of the series yet. It debuts in in you know mid to late May. This show is still completely enveloped in secrecy. Um, you know the, there are billboards and stuff like that. They had a whole thing they did. They recreated the diner at South by Southwest. But there's really very little detail about what's actually going to happen in this. And Mickey, if it stinks, it's going to kill me. <laughs> it is. There's been so, you know, this is like there's been so much buildup. <laughs> the stakes are even higher, right? That this is one of those things because I already know that, like, if you like, I've already had people on Twitter say, "Jim, I checked out Twin Peaks because of you talking about this all the time." And you know what? It's terrible. It's it is more, terrible. It's, uh, okay, no. You and I, you know, you know s- s- clear your schedule. Before the, the new season debuts, I know you've only watched the, the movie Fire Walk with me. Yes. It's completely in- inaccessible unless you've watched the entire series. And even then, it's about a completely different, it's dark. It's and it's twisted. only like two and a half seasons, right? Correct. There are like 29 total episodes. Okay. Only like, it was so a two hour you and I have to binge for like a day and a half and I'll be caught up. Exactly. Okay. And even I think most diehard fans like myself will say, most of the second half of the second season is a train wreck. And <laughs> okay, but we've discussed this before because that didn't have the original people as far as the writers, producers. And yes, exactly. Yeah. And that changed everything. Now, here's my question. This whole thing, as far as I know, was about the murder of the homecoming queen. Correct. So are we going to go with like a 25-year reunion? Do we know if that's part of the plot or? Well, all right. So I'm going to say spoilers for a 25-year-old series. You've really had enough time to catch the episodes, folks. So the season, the this end of the second season finale, has FBI agent Dale Cooper, our hero throughout the series, has has gone to another realm, someplace beyond Earth, some sort of doorway to heaven and hell and the spirit world. He has encountered pure evil, and he comes back. He seems a little confused. He seems a little weird. He goes to the bathroom. He looks in the bathroom mirror, and Bob, the embodiment of all evil, this kind of demonic spirit, is looking back at him meaning our hero is now possessed. Evil has triumphed. The town is in more danger than ever because you can only imagine what a demonically possessed FBI agent could do. That's and then the show ends. Terrifying. That's terrifying. I, but I do have to ask, yeah. the, the villain was named Bob? Yes. <laughs> the, the, the whole thing is the, the most generic, calm, easygoing image for a guy who looks like kind of this, you know, 
creepy, long, stringy hair, denim jacket wearing hippie. It was kind of the. So Bob, Bob is a real person. Well, no. Okay. Huge debate about what he is. People keep. <laughs> okay, when he picture. looks in the mirror, does he see a person or yes. does he see like a demon? Or nothing. Or nothing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Bob is a. Uh, Bob looks like kind of like exactly what you'd picture a serial killer to look like. So it's played by an actor. Yes, he doesn't have horns or... or okay, like okay, thank you. Yes, I needed some clarification because, again, I did see the movie. It was atrocious. Again, you claim that if I watch the rest of the show, it won't be bad. Um, but what if 25 years later when you watch it, you don't get that magic spark? Like, are we, are we literally going to have to have you on some type of watch? Like, Jim hasn't been into work for a couple of days. Oh, my God, have you seen the new Twin Peaks? It's terrible. Well, here's here's the naggy thing is that because the first show could go so wrong and so bad, like like this is exceptionally high stakes uh, television in the sense that we've already seen it's it's kind of like every time we but saw Evil Can Evil, not know what's going to happen I'm sorry? even after the first episode. Like, don't you expect the first episode to be exceptionally confusing? Probably. We got we got 18 episodes coming out of this, right? So we have, and, and even then, David Lynch kind of likes to leave things. Um, uh, sometimes vague and unspecified. Uh, co-creator Mark Frost loves the idea of mystery. They kind of want you to, you know, really get sucked in and kind of keep coming up with your own theories. This is probably one of the most uh, joyfully interactive uh, shows that rewards analysis and rewards studying and saying, okay. Twin that, that Peaks in the time of Twitter should be interesting. Oh, my goodness. This was, you know, this, in 1990, 1991, there's obviously this very nascent, uh, uh, internet, usernet, you know, online chat boards and, and things like that. So there was a little bit of that going on. Uh, and people would, you know, pe- people used to refer to it as the, the office water cooler show. People would get together and trade theories about who they thought the murderer was and things like that. Um, hopefully it'll recapture some of that. And people kind of wondered, can you, in an era of binge watching, can you recapture that regular spirit of... Um, People obsessing over a show on a week-to-week basis. I think that we have proven that that can be done. I think one of the best indicators of that is are some of the HBO shows, and we're going to talk about one of those later in the show. Um, and also a good indicator of that is, is a show like This Is Us, which is on broadcast television, has commercials, and yet still people every Tuesday night are setting their clocks to make sure they are sitting in front of the TV to watch that show. Mm. So I still think, like, as much as we like to talk about social media and we talk about new media and people unplugging, the majority of Americans are still watching TV. You know, what, uh, what the fine, fine people at home uh, listening to this podcast do not know is that as of this moment, because Mickey seems rather skeptical, I'm going to email, I'm going to put a GIF, send a GIF of Bob to her in her Twitter feed, and she won't be able to see it. Until after the show is done. <laughs> Great. And so people in the Richmond, Virginia area, probably if, if you hear a woman screaming, oh, my God, that's, <laughs> that's what this is all about. This is this is what I have done because she's kind of scoffing. Oh, it's just some guy. No, it's the creepiest looking guy you've ever seen. Okay. Uh, I have now sent it to you. And not, Twitter's not letting me direct message gifts. You know what? I'm just going to put this out. I was going to say, just put it out to the world, Tim. There you go. And people are going to say, like, what the hell is wrong with Jim? Why is he now? Tweeting out these unbelievably creepy gifts. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think they used Bob's face on the uh, the famous dating profile of the serial killer who uh, 
goes out looking for women and says he all he does is dig and he absolutely would not kill you on the first date or even the second i think i think that's the the serial killer dating profile is probably the guy they use for bob that's great (laughs) so it's it's an infamous story and i won't uh but co-creator mark cross once famously said that uh it's like the show wanted to be made uh, the, the character of Bob was not part of the original concept. And at some point, uh, he's actually the, the guy who plays him was a set dresser. He was part of the crew. And he was just behind something. And, and David Lynch just kind of liked the way he looked. And he said, you know what, just, just stay there. And, and he kind of filmed the concept around it. He, and he decided, you know what, we're putting this character in here. I don't really know how I want to use him yet, but I just was like Was he high? I'm sorry? <laughs> was David Lynch high when this came up or? It, it's really hard to tell with David Lynch what high would be. You know, he's been described as Jimmy Stewart from Mars. Um, so, you know, there's no normal baseline. What's that? What does uh, that? Th- th- this is a segment for another day, probably. But what, what does um, your obsession with Twin Peaks say about you, Jim? Uh, um, that I, I have, you know, still waters run deep. Uh, <laughs> oh, that is absolutely true. Absolutely true of you. Um, because I do find it interesting. Do you have a favorite character? Like, can you like the dead girl? Yeah. Um, is that like breeding some type of? No, no. I mean, <laughs> Sure. Uh, obviously, Majinamek is running up, rising up my list of favorite character actresses uh, rapidly. Uh, although Shelley, the waitress, was kind of a, uh, on the one hand, kind of the most perfect woman you could ever possibly imagine. On the other hand, kind of sometimes a very dark depiction of being in an abusive relationship. Um, clearly, you know, Cooper, the the main character, the detective, um, as as uh, Kyle McLaughlin describes it, we're all detectives. We're all trying to figure out what's going on in life. We're all trying to understand. But what about the world. Laura Palmer? Laura Palmer is um, – I have not ever encountered a Laura Palmer type in my life. But the Laura Palmer is basically the person who seems to have everything together on the outside but in fact has really deep, dark, uh, enormous problems in her life, um, that, that she is haunted in more ways than one. She is uh, besieged uh, and no one in the community seems to understand why or what's going on. It's a very powerful – look. A lot of people said this worked as metaphor on a lot of real life problems in the world. And uh, I think to go any further would be to get into various spoilers. I'll just drop one other uh, perfect hint as we're coming towards the end of this. Uh, uh, and this. People know I wrote The Weed Agency, um, a, a novel that was much completely about as far from Twin Peaks as you could possibly get about the, the wackiness of the federal bureaucracy. Another novel is pretty much complete. Another novel is, is in the eye, sitting before a book editor right now. They're, they're contemplating whether they like it or not. Um, I'm sure they will. Yeah. Mickey, you've had a chance to, to glance at it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so to a, a much more Twin Peaks influenced work. Um, let's just say I've got it in the works. I, I can't make any, don't have a publisher yet, haven't had my agent shop it around yet. There's a, we're a long ways from completion. But this um, is definitely more you. Thank you. Um, than your previous novels. And I also think that it shows um, just how much range you actually have with your storytelling and with your freaky ha- thoughts. Well, thank you. Well, I mean, there you go. It's, 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 it's one of the odd things where, like, you, you show – I've shown it to you. I showed it to uh, Cam Kurt Schlichter, and Kurt started tweeting about it. So on the one hand, it's kind of nice. On the other hand, like, stop, stop. Stop talking so this, about it. So I guess I'm going to have to just buy a copy, right? I'm just going to have to pay for one retail. 
send one to Dave. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is the big hit. You know, I thought Dave. Yeah, so this this one I think is going to be really well received, um, and I and it's primarily because again, such a such such a stretch for you, but not really for those of us who know you. I think it's a really good book. Of course, there's still a lot to work on with this arrangement, but we'll be talking about another arrangement right after this break. You can feel uneasy about your bathroom. The best fresh ingredients are what make Betty Crocker potato dishes taste so good. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden Fluffo, the first all-new shortening in 40 years. It's rich. Its color is golden yellow. And what a pie it makes. Hey, hey! Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Gardy, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey... It's time for an indecent proposal. <laughs> no, I'm not going to read aloud from sections of uh, the brilliant prose of Fifty Shades again. No, it's actually looking at E-Network um, and a, a kind of a more bizarre and intriguing concepts for a show. Uh, this is uh, a, a, it's, it's a it's called the the arrangement, right? The arrangement. It's about a young. It's fiction, uh, although certainly a lot of people will wonder if this is uh, a, a fictional depiction of real life events. About a young actress who is given a, a opportunity to play a most unusual role, <laughs> cast as the girlfriend of some very powerful Hollywood star. Um, basically an arranged relationship in which he's expected. A studio to marriage. There you go. Um, and uh, you, so you, uh, am I correct, Mickey, that this has you completely engrossed? I love this show. Um, everything about the show is fantastic. And, of course, yes, our characters are fictional characters. It does not matter because, in my mind, they are, in fact, Katie Holmes <laughs> and Tom Cruise. <laughs> because at the the main character, the Tom Cruise-like like character, is also a member of an institute that is much like Scientology. <laughs> I was going to say, what could that represent? Right. <laughs> um, so you have that whole – there's that whole dynamic going on. But what I found most interesting about this is, of course, the premise of the, the entire show is that she is a no one. Um, he needs a new girlfriend. They, he likes her. They decide to offer her this opportunity to become his girlfriend, then his fiance, and his, you know, there's a wife clause with kids involved. Um, and it's you know a $10 million deal. She signs off on it, and away we go. Um, and I think a lot of people initially probably there's that first initial pullback of the idea or balk at the idea of an arranged marriage like this. Um, but it is something that was extremely common in Hollywood, especially in the early days. Um, they would have these arranged relationships so that they could put out the PR that they wanted for the studio. They could control the actors, um, control their images, control what was put out. So not that uncommon in that industry. It's, it, it is unusual, I think, for us to be so exposed to it. And when it comes from E, this is really key that it's on Entertainment Network, in my opinion, on E, is because it has that feeling of being so close to reality. Yeah, but basically, this is just avoiding lawsuit fiction. Yes, <laughs> yeah, like it, 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 it rings of truth. Oh, schmom shrews, you know, it's amazing that you're getting together with, uh, uh, you know, your things to work out with your ex, yeah. Sh Nicole Schmidman. Yeah, know? yeah, there's, there's so much going on here that, that definitely has a ring of truth to it. However, the more you get into the show, the more you invest in the characters because – one thing they've done really well with the story is they've done a good job of their casting and the actors themselves have created a depth um, and with the writing and whatnot, they've created a depth to each of the characters where by the end of the first episode, you fully understand why she would consider signing the paperwork. 
signing the contract um, and becoming part of this arrangement. And not only that, you kind of want her to do it. Okay. Mickey, if you were not married to Mr. Biased and you were a young actress in Hollywood and you were offered this this precise setup, same same looking guy, same uh, fame and fortune, same uh, terms of the deal, would you take it? Just, okay, well, I have a couple questions. One, okay. uh, like in the show, did he just bring me back from the Mexican island that he purchased? Okay, all right. So uh, let's say, yeah, I'm guessing that's a deal suite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's call that a swing voter right there. Uh, yes, absolutely. If I were a young actress in Hollywood and I liked this guy, I'm certain that I would think this was not a big deal. Like, I, I would, because what you do is you rationalize to yourself mm-hmm. what you want to do anyway. And one of the greatest lines of the first episode, she's having this conversation with her, one of her best friends, and her friend's a lawyer, so they're going over the legal terms, but they're also going over, like, the emotional side of it, et cetera. And she's like, you know, so you really, you know, the lawyer's like, you know, you, this is not what you want. This is, you know, whatever. And she looks at her, and she's like, I don't know. So she's like, so, you know, you could just take a few days and think about it and let him know Monday when he gets back from Italy. And she kind of thinks about it for a minute and she looks at her friend and she's like, but I really want to go to Italy. <laughs> and she smiles. And it's one of those moments where you're like, right, like if you were young and kind of, you know, thought you might be in love, because part of this is that she's kind of an emotional wreck when she meets him anyway, um, because of a cheating, you know, long term boyfriend, the whole bit, um, nods to Chris Klein, again, lawsuits all over the place if they were just a hair off, I think, um, on any of this. But the the idea of her being heartbroken she meets this guy he's a superstar he happens to think she's charming and cute and funny um she doesn't realize that that's you know he's been looking for a new girlfriend that's specifically what she's being cast to play um however he does take her to mexico to a private island that he was looking to purchase for the weekend um you know flies her all over the world does all these cool things and she's all caught up in it and then thinks what is this you know basically a piece of paper saying that i'll keep my mouth shut because i think that a lot of you know non-disclosure agreements are exceptionally common even in non-hollywood world so I think that once you get to the point where you accept the idea that people have non-disclosure agreements, these kind of arranged things seem a lot more plausible. Yeah, I also remember thinking in the, the corporate uh, realm, the non-disclosure agreements, like it's very interesting that we, 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 it's important to have the freedom of speech unless you really need to work someplace. And, and then, you know, like I, I seem to remember uh, when the dot-com days having some non-disclosure agreement I had to sign. Uh, the dot-com is now long since out of business, so there's nobody around to enforce it. But I remember thinking, like, this is – I'm a journalist and I'm signing away the fact that I'll never talk about something. Like, really? Did I, just, did I just do that? But, you know, the things you do when you're 20-something and you somebody's dangling a lot of money in front of you. Um, there you go. Uh, so, so here's the question. So you had said that this reminded you a little bit of uh, – the infamous Woody Harrelson, Demi Moore, Robert Redford uh, film, Indecent Proposal. Um, now, does it have that kind of sinister? You're renting yourself out to, uh, you know, to someone. And, you know, I guess, I guess it's pretty clear here that yes, you're, you know, you're I'm, you're being purchased. You're being rented. There are de- they are definitely showing the downsides of this arrangement. Like they 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 just like any good story, they open with all of the good things. But you've got this institute operating in the background. We've already seen, and that started in the first episode, kind of hints of the more sinister side of the institute, the darker side. Um, so there's definitely a balance of dark and light 
because you get all of the Hollywood glam and fun and fashion that you want to see with this kind of show. And then there's this underlying, like, it could all go bad in a second. <laughs> well, also keeping in mind the idea that if you imagine if you like, so you've, you've agreed to this, this, uh, uh, phony arrangement, right? This this pseudo relationship that is not a genuine relationship. Mm-hmm. What happens if you meet somebody you really like? But that's just it. She really likes him. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that makes it even worse, so to speak, yeah. um, or it makes it even more appealing. But, then but the question the, is, like, does he really like her? And that's yeah. part of what we don't really know yet either. Like you kind of get a feel for it, that he likes her, but we don't know if he likes her like that. Likes her. I, I was going to say that's a. Uh, um, a, a, a unnerving kind of subtext. Would also, am I correct? Some of the ads uh, make it look like he's not, if he's not a serial killer, um, that there's certainly an implication that he's got a bit of a dark side or that there's something about him that you'd, uh, you oh, might not trust. Yes, he absolutely has a dark side. And part of it is tied to the Institute because he relies on them for everything. And you, you understand almost immediately that someone who has that kind of a dependence on, again, the quote, Institute, Mm. That there's there's some personal demons there that he's battling with. We also see him kind of bed hopping a little bit. We see him involved in inappropriate relationships prior to her coming into the picture. And so you get the feeling that there's a lot more to him than what the public knows about as well. And so, again, he tells this very well because they use their same kind of journalistic style of coverage that they use for their shows, um, which is, you know, we've discussed is E could stand for escapism, and I'm cool with that. I, I was going to say, I very much am finding, uh, we, you know, we look, we live in an era in which the news is, if not depressing, it's going to scream at you. Um, you're, you're, you know, you turn, you're, so the, the day will come, like you, you, nothing else is on, I can't persuade Mrs. Campaign Spot to watch anything in the realm of sports. Um, and instead, so we go, and all of a sudden we go to E!, which is silly and stupid and superficial and shallow and all that, all these other things, all the things that I have made fun of you, Mickey, uh, for enjoying <laughs> and appreciating. And the appeal is you now you know, when, when you're at that point, it's like, you know, nine thirty, ten o'clock in the evening and you're not interested in really having to require any more mental, uh, 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 you know, uh, committing any more brain cells to, any, to anything you're watching then, yeah, I'll watch Cosmo editors deal with the ups and downs of life. Right? I will, all of a sudden, <laughs> the, the extensive analysis of the red carpet fashions, all of a sudden, that's exactly where my mind is, uh, is, 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 is ready for. So I, there's a part of this. Welcome. Like, okay. Welcome to my world, Tim. Well, the idea that, you know, and the other thing is that you think, like, oh, my God, this is so uh, shallow and, and frivolous. And I'm starting to think, okay, that's, that's a very big part of the point. Which is to say, you know what? We know at the end of the day, everything's going to turn out fine for the Kardashians. Mm-hmm. We know at the end of the day, everything's going to turn out fine for, for just about all of these people. Um, because, you know, they're, they're celebrities, they're wealthy, um, they're, in, they're living lives in which the conflicts are, if not contrived, um, certainly seem uh, small compared to people who are trying to figure out how they're going to pay the rent. <laughs> yes. uh, you know. That's right. Money can't buy you love, but, but no money can't buy you anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, you know, there's a certain sense of like, okay, so worst case scenario, any one of these people retires and goes off and lives a private life, not in the public spotlight, and they live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of this sense of like, so we get to watch them go through contrived drama, and deep down we know, unless they have an overdose, things are going to turn out okay. 
Well, yeah, for the most part, that's that's the whole point, though, is the idea of sitting there and listening to the latest story on J-Rod um, or whatever is happening in celebrity gossip. There's something to that that um, it's silly, it's fun. These reality shows, as you said, a lot of the drama is contrived, and you kind of know it while you're watching it, so it's almost like you're in on it. Yeah, I was about to say, there's a certain... Um, uh, like, like, as much as you know, I might scoff. Is it any less or more frivolous than, say, fantasy football? Is it any more or less frivolous than um, Civil War reenactments? Oh, absolutely! Right. I mean, at the end, you know, you know, there are a lot of things we do that don't really make the world a better place, and that's fine because not everything has to make the world a better place. Well, it's one of the things that I love about pop culture. And as you guys all know, I'm a pop culture junkie from way back. This isn't something that I do in order to make people think about me differently politically. I actually love pop culture. Oh, I think um, it's safe to say this has not been good politically. <laughs> in other words, no, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, Ruiz, a pair of, of audiences. Uh, yeah, I think that people connect them in, in really odd ways. But having said that, I love pop culture. I love what it brings. Um, and it does bring you sometimes some silly joy, sometimes just entertainment. Um, one of the great things going on right now is that, you know, on Sunday nights, you can sit down, as we've discussed, and you can watch the show, The Arrangement. Meanwhile, over on HBO on Sunday night, they've got another show that has us both hooked as well, and we're going to talk about that next. I'm sure a lot of people think this is just some radio shtick. Introducing Popeye's all-new comic strip glasses, yours to keep when you buy a 69-cent soft drink. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. I am Mickey White here with Jim Garrity talking about the HBO show, Big Little Lies. Now, the cast alone on the show is worth mentioning. If you have not seen it, it's on HBO on Sunday nights, but of course you can watch it on demand. And the stars of the show are the women. Um, So if you're looking for a strong female lead show, this is it. But I will tell you that there is nothing feminine or light about this particular show. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Laura Dern, uh, Shailene Woodley are your stars. And uh, Zoe Kravitz is also one of the stars of the show. And it is an hour-long drama. I find it fitting, Jim, that it actually falls into the time slot where they had True Detective. Mm. Because from the movies, or from the music, rather, to the imagery, to... um, And again, it's set in Monterey, which is a character, a main character, actually, Mm -hmm. of this show, of this drama. And all of these women um, are kind of upper middle class, maybe upper upper class, um, and a blend of upper middle class in there, except for Shailene Woodley's character. They all have children that are going to the same school. It's obviously a private prestige. It's actually a public school. That's part of the the story of the Monterey is that it's a prestigious school, but it's a public school because they all want to live in this particular area so they can go to this school. And there's some drama that happens right off the bat in the very first episode that kind of sets the entire world spinning, and it's drama between the children. And then it's how all of the mothers react to it. And, Jim, I I kind of talked you into watching the first episode of this, and, and so... Are you as hooked as I am? Um, yes and no, meaning that I, I watched it with Mrs. Campaign Spot. She really enjoyed it. I found it really well done, um, but almost so well done and so emotionally fraught with tension uh, that it almost wasn't. It definitely wasn't fun to watch. 
Um, and, and as we so it was the beginning, you know, first of all, uh, as you said, this is very much a uh, you know, a wealthy community, but not everybody in the community is wealthy. Um, and there's very much about class differences. There's very much about a sense of uh, um, status, um, and and often and not just in heavy-handed ways, very subtle ways. There was an interesting line about that uh, one of the characters says, and he goes, "It's it's a somewhat jerkish uh, husband, but he says, like women, you all want to be the envy of your friends, but not too much." Oh, and, that line. I mean, like, you know, and and the wife responds quite negatively to it, but there's a you know you could tell that you know it hurts because it stings because it's true, right? Right, that exactly. This, you know, uh, that, you know, and, but I don't think it's necessarily a, a factor of women. I think human beings <laughs> want to be the envy of their friends, but not too much. It's, well, um, I want to tell, I want to warn our listeners if they go out to watch this that it's almost oppressive. Yeah, the first episode specifically, and it does get a little bit lighter as the, as the the speed and and the motion as things are set into motion, and things start happening. It, it, it it's not quite as sitting on the edge of your seat, heart pounding, and not because there's so much action, guys. It's because there's not. Mm. There's a lot of talking, a lot of speculation going on. Um, there's been a murder, so it is a murder mystery. Well, um, let's specify. But we don't even know who is dead yet. Exactly. As of this first episode, and you're, you're ahead of me, but the sense is that you know we know somebody's dead. We have a strong, obviously, we have strong reason to think it's one of our uh, female leads of this story who we've been following, we've been focusing on, and we also very strongly get the feeling that whoever did it is one of the other uh, ones. We, in other words, we, we're watching group of characters who, by the end of this first episode, like if, I was thinking, particularly the Reese Witherspoon character came across as really unlikable for like the first, let's say, half hour, 40 minutes. And I was like, huh, this is really playing against type. Everybody always usually like, we're used to Reese Witherspoon playing Legally Blonde uh, and playing very sympathetic characters who we Mm -hmm. like and we're attached. And right towards the end of that first episode, we see her interacting with her daughters. And that deep down, she is a loving mother who's trying her very best in some challenging circumstances. And yes, she comes across as kind of pushy and kind of, very much type A and a bit of a perfectionist and all that stuff. But really deep down, she loves her, her kids and we're supposed to sympathize. And then we're reminded that somebody's ending up dead and somebody's going to commit murder. And there's kind of this sense of like, oh, oh you know, whatever the I watch, I'm not eager to watch the rest of the episodes because I know something really bad's going to happen to at least two of these characters and probably, you know, a good chunk of them. Yes. And as the story unfolds and throughout, you kind of find yourself – um, seeing a theme that is nothing is as it seems or nothing is as it seems initially as everything is based on this facade and again we talked about Monterey being an actual character and by that the people of Monterey yes we talk about there are a lot of wealthy people there but not everyone is wealthy um, however you should know that the majority of them have houses on the beach front so yeah you don't oh, really feel bad for them. Gorgeous scenery, uh, you know. Yes, epic scenery. You'll love that. Um, but again, the cinematography in general is exceptionally well done. Um, it's high movie quality. It's HBO quality. Exceptionally well done. Again, the music is also a character. In fact, the music is so popular, just this weekend they're going to be releasing it, um, the soundtrack. So you can okay. download all of that music as well. And it's great because the music certainly tells a story as it associates to the mm-hmm. characters and opens up too. Can I? Can we take a moment to talk about Alexander Skarsgård's character? Yeah, uh, this is the guy who was in True Blood, and, and he was Eric of, in True Blood, yeah, Tarzan, things like that. 
Um, I'll, I'll give you something of a spoiler, but it's a spoiler for the first episode, and, and I, clearly there's a lot more story beyond the spoiler. So he plays, or at least for the first, let's say, 45 minutes of the show, what a guy who looks like a near-perfect husband and father. If anything, you know, they, they, there's a lot of... Uh, by the way, Mickey, do you believe that you should not be cute with your other lo- with your, your spouse after age 40? I thought that was hysterical, but right? like, you know, I, I, I was like, there's something probably to that. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. and I are looking at each other and saying, well, we're, we're pretty darn affectionate. Or do other people not like it? Anyway, so, but he, he comes across as like Hilarious not just you. affectionate, but like uh, aggressive almost. Like they're, they're, let me put it this way. By, by five minutes before a key scene, Mrs. Campaign Spot are looking at each other and say, well, this guy's clearly a serial killer. Oh, yeah. Like, there's something wrong with him. Right, there's something clearly wrong. With, and within five minutes, we can learn a secret about this character. If he's not a serial killer, then he clearly has this very dark, violent side to him. Yes, uh, it's, it's not a secret that the, his relationship with Nicole Kidman is a highlight of this show and that it, it highlight an epic domestic violence situation. And it's complicated and it's complex. And they end up going to therapy um, in later episodes. And it's it does a very interesting and accurate portrayal of the situation in a way that as a viewer you get sucked in and it feels again quite real um in the way that the character you you kind of feel for the character you you find yourself getting a little antsy in your seat if you will Mm. um and i think you find that with some almost all of the characters at some point while watching simply because the the way that it is written the way the characters are developed and the way this story is going you know it's not going to end well and you don't really know which one of these cornered animals yeah. is going to be the one that snapped. But you know that it could be any of them. And as you continue in the series, you realize that while it's focused on the main characters, you do start to initially focus in on you know Reese Witherspoon or specifically Nicole Kidman. And as you go through these new episodes, you start to be open to the idea that there are other scenarios you had not thought of yet. Mm that put other people in possible dangerous situations. And again, it's still, you kind of feel a little of that roller coaster ride, that build where you're going up the hill and the tension is coming and you know it's about to break. <laughs> Mickey, do you think the creators of this show are trying to say something about, um, if not Monterey, let's, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, you know, um, white yuppie suburbia, white uh, upper middle class, upper class, uh, because there were certain parts I'm looking around and, and, uh, suddenly, you know, Yuppie Acres back in Alexandria or, or Authenticity Woods doesn't seem so bad. But I did, you know, this, this sense of a, a uh, the, the, sorry, the, the uh, every, everything you kind of depicted, I felt on a, on a set up to an 11 in Monterey. I'd say I felt like in my community, I felt like a three or four. Uh, the rivalries <laughs> between working moms and uh, stay at home moms and, and everybody trying to look their best for the neighbors and things like that. I, you know. Anyway, one of the reasons I might be not eager to watch more episodes, Mickey, is it may have hit a little close to the bone. And again, I think that's part of it. Do understand that this was based on a book, so there really aren't any spoilers out there. Um, it's for those of us who didn't read the books that <laughs> there are spoilers. Um, and although this is one of those shows that really rarely happens to me where I'm watching it, and I think I want to go back and read the book, though. Mm. Um, so I, I find that interesting. Um, I definitely recommend if you're into the kind of murder mystery, not really sure what's happening. It does feel like you're reading a book, even though you're watching a show. Then Big Little Lies is probably for you because it's it is all the uncomfortableness and wonderfulness that you want. 
Well, it's uh, for some people, it is going to be DVRing television or worth seeking out on demand. But Mickey was wondering about what shows we loved before we had VCRs and DVRs, and what we were, what was appointment television of yesteryear. And we'll be discussing that right after this. Marsha, what happened? Peter hit me on the nose with a football. I can't go to the dance like this. Well, I'm sure it was an accident, sweetheart. An eye for an eye. That's what Dad always says. I never said that, honey. Shut up! Time to teach Peter a lesson. Marsha, eat a Snickers. Why? You get a little hostile when you're hungry. Better? Better. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Jan, this isn't about you. <laughs> it never is. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And this week, in our Trivial Tuesday contest... My co-host, Mickey, asked the question, what was must-see TV before we could DVR it? Um, I went down, obviously, a lot, of nom- a lot of responses to this one. A lot of them I, I was, I was uh, impressed by how much I agreed with. Um, right now, okay, question mark, responded, six, HBO's Six Feet Under. Uh, oh, critical, yeah. Critical darling. Uh, Sopranos, I, I think everyone's familiar with that. But also remembered ABC's Max Headroom. And let me tell you, you know, one, excellent call, Mr. Right Now Okay, or Ms. Right Now Okay. I don't know. Your, your Twitter is not gender specific, and I would never judge. I will not, you know. However you choose to self-identify Right Now Okay. Um, and you want to talk about, like, it's, it's really the shows that were on before the advent of the VCR, where you had to watch them, right? I mean, I remember what, you know, uh, my parents, when I wanted to stay up and watch a show and it was too late, my parents would respond, save your pennies to get a VCR, right? Like oh, I, yeah. my, my kids can't understand this. There was once shows you just couldn't watch because you weren't allowed to watch TV when they were on. And it was too late or you weren't home and you just missed it. Yeah, you know. Um, and for me, it was really interesting because when people went to the VCR version of it, I, my first thought was friends. I used to VCR friends. I had like entire episodes or entire seasons of friends so that I could watch it at any time. And so I guess that was it. But when I think of things that I had to like be there to watch because we didn't VCR things yet, it's a different world. That was the first show that popped in my mind. However, I was fascinated. Um, We actually had one of our listeners, Sean Lee, said that his dad used to VCR things before it was cool. He would love to gather full tapes of WKRP, MASH, and the Rockford File reruns. And uh, so I, I was surprised that we saw Miami Vice pop up there. Yeah, Rex, I, I salute that. You know, um, again, like, you know, the idea of no, you you got to get home by a certain time, right? You know, it's 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 a real. You know, no, no, you got to watch. The, you know, like your schedule was set by the television networks, and that is a concept that it just took us a couple of years, and poof, that is completely gone from your life. The only thing you need to be in front of the television for are uh, live sports events and election results. Am I, am I missing anything else? Uh, award shows. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I guess that's about those are the but only. Yeah, that, anything that's live. But other than that, no. And even then, you have the question of spoiler alert. And if you're not that, your social media networks will will break that for you. Oh, absolutely. And you know, obviously, now if you're doing something live, you see a lot of people live tweet while they're watching a show. Um, there are still people who sit down at night and watch TV like normal people. However, there are a great many of us out there who. Just, you know, you don't have to set your entire world around it. Like, sure, you might be home tonight, so you're going to watch your favorite show. Mm -hmm. But it used to be that if you weren't home, you missed it, period. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're like, oh, we can go out to dinner, I'll record it, we'll watch it when we get home. And that has, you know, brought out this entire, 
think it was Portlandia had a good sketch about this. It's the sudden controversy. You and I just tried to have a conversation about uh, Big Little Lies, having seen a different number of episodes, <laughs> and you doing your best to not spoil it for me and, and you know for anybody else who hasn't seen the show yet. Yes. Like now, all of a sudden, we're not all at the same pace, and so you start wondering, like, what do we think of as unthinkable now that a few years down the road could be completely common? Mickey, earlier today, you threw one of the more disturbing articles I've ever seen across my, my Twitter feed. Did I read that correctly? That na- They've figured out how to communicate. Is it taste across the Internet? Correct. Yes. They have figured out a way to transmit the flavor of lemonade. How? What are, we, are we supposed to lick our screens or something? There is some way that they transmit it, and I don't know. I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm sure there's some type of special equipment involved, but I don't care. It's There's something really troubling about it. And the headline alone sent me reeling. And then someone came back with, well, porn's going to be different now. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember way back when there'd be jokes that in the future we'll have smell-o-vision. Yeah, I thought smell-o-vision to- would probably come before taste-o-vision. And all, like, just who, like, it would be something like you'd have on your phone and it would just, you know, the right chemical combination, it would then create, uh, yeah, you know, I, I've read about how in the fast food industry, because everything, almost everything most of the big fast food chains make is frozen. Right. You freeze food, you heat it, you defrost it, it loses enormous amounts of flavor. So what they do is they have all their chemical food additives that are apparently all done at these giant processing factories in, in New Jersey. Yay, Garden State. And so, but it was like they have stuff that would just, you know, will make you taste like a, a McDonald's hamburger or the French fry taste or everything that they have is, comes from artificial uh, uh, food additives and stuff. I think they call yeah, them they esters. That and, and somehow put it into your phone. I, you know, good, good heavens, science. You spent so much time thinking about whether you could do something that you never considered whether you should do something. <laughs> well, what is the purpose of having a taste sense? Just try and imagine. It's not like you get to eat it. One of your favorite uh, characters in in the life of America, Mickey. Try and imagine Kim Kardashian selling smell-o-vision and taste-o-vision on your iPhone. You think she couldn't sell <laughs> ten million copies of every app she comes up with? I think she could. Oh well, absolutely, absolutely. If she if if this is going to be a thing, then you'll be able to smell her perfumes. Yeah, you could. Well, you could put a video commercial of her wiping a, a Kleenex between. Her prodigious appendages, and then taking a, a deep <laughs> breath full of it, and saying, "You can have this scent for only nine ninety nine. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It doesn't matter. She, whatever it is, she'll sell it. That's right, and it doesn't matter what it smells like. It just has to be authentic. That's it. Mm-hmm. I'm Kim Kardashian. Smell me now. <laughs> um, oh my god! Again, if this becomes a thing, she'll be all over it. Do you know where this could actually be? This would make total sense, and everybody actually would use it, Mickey. Mm. Cooking shows. Yes, because you could get the taste of it. That would be. I mean, that was who we originally wanted Smell-O-Vision for, but Taste of Vision would be better. Again, you don't actually get to eat it though. So, would this be good for dieting? Like, I'm really craving something sweet, and so if I can trick my brain into think that I've got that flavor, would it then take away the craving? No, I think it would I amplify it. Here. <laughs> I think it would My amplify it. The things that we come up with on the Jim and Mickey show, and you guys are not going to believe this, but we have come to the end of another hour. And, you know, the Jim and uh, Mickey show, where one sense is just fine, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> one sense. That's all I need. You just need to see us. You just need to see us. 
no can, smell, no touch, no taste. Like we kind of tap into that sixth sense, though. They can kind of feel us. Um, so, you know, uh, we are done with another hour, and it's been fantastic catching up with you guys. We will not be leaving you alone like this again. Um, but Dave was out of country and so glad to be back. You can catch up on all of our old episodes and all of our new ones will be coming through soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Also check us out on facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Find us on Twitter. I'm at bias girl. He's at Jim Garrity. And of course, Dave is at big Dave P. We will be back again next week. Look for us on iTunes, Spreaker, and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. And you've been listening to the one, the only, Jim and Mickey Show. We're back.